0: going to talk about sacrifice yeah I know it's exciting isn't it (laughs) there's something in us generally that wants to recoil back from sacrifice because we would like all of us would we would like everything and anything without any sacrifice but I'm going to let you in on a hard truth everything you have in your life you got because of some kind of sacrifice now well uh, let me say this you may be 17 here today, and you got a personal computer and a tablet and a smartphone and a car that was given to you. You may say, I don't feel like I've been sacrificed. Well, you didn't, but somebody did. Somebody gave up some things they could have had to make sure you had. So there's always sacrifice. See, life's all about a trade-off. It's all, it's all about a trade-off. And the the thing you have to pause and ask yourself is this. Is the trade-off worth it? Is it worth it? Is, is is what I'm going to give up worth what I'm going to receive? And so everything you have in life was a trade-off. Um, I, I'm going to assume most of us here do not have unlimited funds to where we could do anything, where we're waking up tomorrow going, let's see, do I want the yacht or the private jet? I'll just get both. I don't, most of us aren't in that situation, so we had to give up something to decide what we were going to get and what was important. And... Uh, for, for instance, if I, if I said to you, uh, hey, at the end of the service, I am going to sell the hard copy of this sermon, and uh, for $500, you can have my hard copy of this sermon, I would think and hope that most of you would go, uh, I, I'll just listen to it online again if I want to, you would say, $500 is a big, gigantic chunk of money for a little bit of paper and ink. So think think how big $500 is in that illustration. But if I came to you and said, hey, I just want you to know this. Out in the parking lot, I have a 2021 brand new Corvette. Fully loaded, top of the line, everything. I have the title deed to it. And I'll sell it to you for $500. Did the $500 change in dimension? It was huge a minute ago. But now, I don't care if you're overdrawn by $1,200. In your bank account, you will find, beg or borrow, I would say steal, but you all wouldn't do that. You know, the saying used to be beg, borrow, or steal, but among us believers, beg and borrow, but we're not going to steal. We would find that $500. Why? Because all of a sudden, instead of having this big chunk of money that I'm getting a little bitty reward for, I now have this little tiny bit of money that I'm getting this huge reward for. Now, you may be here and be silly enough to say, well, I don't even like Corvettes. I wouldn't take it. D- that doesn't matter. It's, I don't know what they're worth. $70, $80, $90, $100,000. You could get the thing, go sell it, make yourself a profit. You, you'd say, that's a little tiny bit of money for that great big reward. And so everything in life is about that. It's about making a trade. Now, there's a, an amazing trade that we have, and that's our eternal life. And you will sacrifice something to have eternal life. You will sacrifice sin. If you get serious about Jesus, you're going to have to give up all kinds of stuff. You're going to have to give up addictions. Um, You're going to have to give up self-inflicted problems and pain. You're going to have to give up brokenness. You're going to have to give up a whole lot. It's going to be a really good trade to give up all that to have Jesus. Because Jesus came to give us life. Now, we know this, at least I hope we do. um, But a lot of people still think this. Christianity is like a substandard way of living. It's no fun, it's awful, it's miserable, but maybe it's worth it. You know, if it was, it's not, but if it was a substandard way of living and you lived to be 100 years and you traded off a substandard life for life eternal and bliss, it would be worth it. But we know this about Jesus. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest measure and have it overflowing. So it's not a substandard, it's it's a a superstandard way of living. So we're making sacrifices, all of us are, and if the sacrifice is a good one. If you're giving up a little thing for a lot, you will do it willingly and you'll do it joyfully. Yeah, you actually will sacrifice willingly and joyfully if the reward is big. Remember the little parable Jesus tells, like two sentences long. He just says it and moves right on. He says, there's a guy walking along and he discovered an amazing treasure in a field and he sold everything he had to go purchase the field. And then he moves right on. A couple of little sentences. First of all, the guy willingly and joyfully sold everything he had, his house, his donkey, his cart, his kids, probably didn't do that, his, his tools, his pots and pans, any excess clothing. He sold everything, and he went to the bank or to the person he purchased this from, and he did it with joy, and he did it willful, willingly, and all he had was the clothes on his back. Why, why did he do that? Because the return on investment was worth it. It was huge. It was great. It was wonderful. And so that's the kind of deals that we want to make. And, of course, that story is about eternal life. The treasure in the field is eternal life in Jesus. And if you've got to give up a couple outfits and, and a donkey and a cart to get it, go do it because the return on investment is going to be huge. So we're going to look at these guys who, who have a, um, uh, a sacrifice, a gift issue that you're all familiar with them probably. Even if this is the first time you've ever been in church, you probably have heard of these people. It's in Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 2 through 7, it says, When Cain and Abel grew up, everybody remember Cain and Abel? When Cain and Abel grew up, Abel became a shepherd, and Cain cultivated the ground, became a farmer. When it was time for harvest, Cain presented some of his crops. It's interesting how it says that. Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn. Notice how it says that. He brought the first, the best, the the." The best portions of the firstborn lambs from the flock. Now, before I read on, I want us to, this, this is actually a technique that will help you grow in God. I'm very serious about this. And that is, as we go to the word today, I want you to look at it as if God is speaking to you. Because it's really easy to say, that's Tracy's opinion on that. Oh, well, I just don't agree with Tracy. Now, I will admit this. If I say anything that doesn't line up with Scripture, doesn't line up with Jesus, then please dismiss that. But if what I'm saying lines up with Scripture, then what happens is God is speaking to us. The Scripture says if anyone speaks, they should speak as the mouthpiece of God. And so we should be listening that God's speaking to us. So let's, let's read on. The Lord accepted Cable. Or I, I, I Siamese twins them. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift God accepted Abel and his gift but he did not accept Cain and his gift this made Cain very angry and he looked dejected why are you so angry the Lord asked Cain why do you look so dejected you will be accepted if you do what is right don't miss that you will be accepted if you do what is right God Almighty is having a conversation, the creator of the universe is having a conversation with Cain, and he's trying to instruct him in how to do life. Now, there's all kinds of, you know, discussion about why Abel's was accepted and why Cain wasn't. Most of them is very good, most of them is very insightful, but it really doesn't matter for the story, because when we read the story, it's apparent that Cain knows what's right, but he's not doing it. Because he says, if you do what is right, Cain, that would have been Cain's moment to say, I thought I did right. What, what do you want? He knew. He just wasn't going to do it. Now, that's the culture today and the culture that has always existed. Because we're seeing it right here in Genesis. Now, how far are we into Genesis? We're into chapter 4, the fourth chapter of the Bible. And we're seeing this. Same thing we've seen throughout every culture. And it's this. God, I'm going to do life how I want to do life and you ought to accept it. Cain said, say, I'm going to do what I want to do, how I want to do it, the way I want to do it, and I want you to accept it. I mentioned this song because it's a song that, that um, reminds me of this. Lord, I was born a rambler man. Lord, I was born a rambler man. Trying to make a living, doing the best I can. And when it's time for leaving, I hope you understand, I was born a ramblin' man. I made, uh, seriously, I made a mistake today, because I thought, I always get the words confused on that, I always say living and loving, and I thought, I don't think that's right, so I played the song on the way to church today, I was singing that all through the church this morning, <laughs> Lord, I was born a rambling man, I went, oh, no, I need to sing something else other than I was born a ramble man, but you know how songs just get in your head and get stuck, <laughs> but what was happening was, Cain's saying, I, I, I want to be me, you hear that a lot, you just won't let me be me. You won't let me do me, you know. Well, Cain did him, and it didn't work out too well. But God says, why are you angry? Why do you look so dejected? You'll be accepted if you do what's right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must control it or subdue it and be its master. Now, it's amazing because Cain here, from our spiritual perspective, he's not even born again. He's not filled with the Holy Spirit. We would think, wow, here's a guy that that doesn't have God living in his life, and he's telling this guy, you can control this. You can master this. Well, then surely with Jesus living in us and the Holy Spirit living in us, we can do the same. So Cain was called upon by God to sacrifice. Now, here's what I want to say, because we think of the sacrifice of the crops or of the lamb, really there's a deeper thing that God's always going after in our hearts, always. Always. God was calling upon Cain to sacrifice his pride. He was calling upon him to sacrifice his anger. He was calling upon him to sacrifice his frustration with the situation and with Abel. He was calling upon him to do what was right in his heart. And he told him, here's a warning for you, Cain. If you don't control this, it's going to master you and it's not going to go well for you. And we all know the story probably. Cain did not listen to the Lord. He took vengeance upon his brother, which owed him nothing, which is basically how it works. We're mad at ourselves or we're ticked off at God or whatever, so we take it out on somebody else who was simply doing what was right. And if we took time to read the whole story, you would learn this, that that Cain lived the rest of his life marked by God with a curse, with a curse. Cain decided he was not going to give up his anger. He was not going to sacrifice. He was not going to do what God said. He was not going to obey. And so we always want to bring it to ourselves. Who are you upset with? Who are you frustrated with? Who are, who are you angry with? Who, who would you like to punish because you don't like their behavior? How far are you willing to go to disobey God? How far are you willing to go to say, you know what? I don't care. I know what's right. I'm not going to do it. I, I just let you know this. It will not go well for you. That doesn't work. God doesn't get intimidated. God doesn't get bullied. You can say, well, you just better like the way I live. And he doesn't say, I'm so sorry. You know, No, he, he, he's not going to change. His word and his ways are forever settled in heaven. And if you go down a path of disobeying God and not willing to sacrifice your pride, your anger, your frustration, your hurt, your whatever it is, you can fill in that blank with anything, it won't go well with you. The the concept of sacrifice is a Hebrew word, it's Zabach. Zabach means just what it says, Zabach means to sacrifice, it means to kill, and it means to slaughter. There was a preacher preaching one time, and afterwards one of the church members came up to him and said, I felt like today that you were trying to wound my pride with that message. And he said, first of all, I want to apologize to you, it was not my intention at all to wound your pride. My goal was to kill it completely. And he went, oh, okay. Kill it completely, not wound it. We want to kill. We want to sacrifice it. We want to kill it. We want to slaughter our pride. So we stand before the Lord in humility. But sacrifice is necessary. It's an essential action to advance your life in any area. Now, we're going to talk about it in a little bit, so don't get nervous. These sacrifices don't save us. These sacrifices are built to help us grow spiritually and walk in the life and blessing of God. And as we do that, we activate both a natural and a spiritual aspect in when we sacrifice. Sacrificing will turn the tide in whatever area you're struggling with or that you want victory in or you want to have more in, you want to advance in. Sacrificing will help you. By the way, I'm not talking about sacrificing animals. I'm talking about sacrificing spiritual things, and we're going to look at that. It triggers this spiritual principle, and this natural principle called sowing and reaping in the Bible. And what happens is when we, we sow, we, we kill something, we cause it to die. It's what a farmer does. He plants seed into the ground, and the seed dies. But it comes alive in a different, a different way. So he's sacrificing. He or she's sacrificing that seed. He's giving up the seed. He's planting it. He's putting it away. He's burying it. And he's going to re- reap a harvest from it, though. And this will work in any area, emotionally, physically, spiritually, financially, relationships, relationships educationally, many of you have gone and sacrificed quite a bit to get your education. You had to give something up in order to get that. But you believe that the reward outweighed the sacrifice. So we want to activate this principle of sowing and reaping. And when we activate this principle of sowing and reaping, we're actually also activating something else which moves God, and that's called faith. Faith. The farmer has to believe that he'll empty his warehouse of seed and at the, in the end, it'll all be better because he did. In fact, if we really study the book of Hebrews about these sacrifices that Cain and Abel made, it just says this. It doesn't get into details. We want to argue about crops and blood and animals and plants and all that. But here's what it says. Abel offered a better sacrifice because he offered it in faith. That's what Hebrews says. He offered it in faith. He believed. He believed. He offered it in faith. And so God's challenging us to operate in faith. When we sow something, we have to believe it'll actually work. We have to apply our faith to it. That when we give something up, we will gain more. Now, let's look at this spiritual example. This one's just an easy one to understand because it's, it's math. In Proverbs 11, 24 through 26, by the way, this applies to anything. It says, give freely and become what? More wealthy. There is no accountant that will tell you that. No accountant will tell you that. Unless they love Jesus and understand the principle of sowing and reaping. There's no accountant who crunches your numbers and says, wow, we need to get you to a, a higher level financially and here's our plan. Give some of your money away. No, they will say, take some of your money and put more into the account. I've never had a financial planner tell me, quit giving so much, to the account, that is. We need more money for this account. We need the account to have more money. But I'm going to let you in on something that's just, it's all throughout Scripture. And if you don't know this, you need to know it. If you do know it, you might need to be reminded of it. God works on the principle of the farmer, not the accountant. As long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest. There will be sowing and reaping. That's the way God works. It does not say, as long as the earth remains, there will be a ledger sheet. And there will be debits and credits. It doesn't say that. It's sowing and reaping. God works in the principle of the farmer, not the principle of the accountant. So give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will what? Prosper. The generous will prosper. That can be with your money, it can be with your time, it can be with your friendship, it can be with, if anything, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Sowing, reaping. People curse those who hoard their grain, but they bless the one who sells in time of need. Well, we want people to bless us, not curse us. And so the question is, do you need more money? Do you need more time? Do you need more friends? Do you need improved physical health, emotional health, mental health, spiritual health, whatever? Do you need a promotion at work? What, what does Scripture say about these things? Well, I, it's kind of the teach in me as I looked at this. There's three things I want to say. This is just a little side note here. I usually don't like to chase a side note, but I'm going to today. There's three actions that acquire more. Three things to do. One is properly manage what you have. Do I have a slide for that? Properly manage what you have. For instance, let's just pick money because it's so easy to understand because it's mathematical. If you say, I just don't have enough money to make ends meet and you had a financial planner sit down with you and they start saying, well you're, you're paying $300 a month for all your cable and subscription services and all that, you're eating out five times a week, uh, you are everything, your house is on a payment plan, they're going to say, oh, it's not really so much that you don't make enough money, you don't manage what you have well. So you have to start working at that. So I don't want you just to think there aren't other principles of acquiring, but you have to manage what you have well. Same with your time, same with your relationships, same with your spirituality, same with everything. Manage what you have well. Then the second thing to acquire more is develop your skills or improve your talent. So you want to become worth more in your relationships, your friendships, your your job, everything. I mean, if, if since day one you've been in a place five years working and you really haven't got past shopping on Amazon all day long or watching memes of cute little animals, then you're not progressing, you're not becoming more valuable. So you want to improve your skills and improve your talent. And then the last thing, which is our topic today, give some, something away, give it away. Volunteer, give some of your time, give some of your talent share those things you're sacrificing when you do that so give some away regardless of what it is sacrifice now I want to look at some spiritual growth here but I also want to say everything ultimately goes down to helping us spiritually if you came in here today struggling emotionally if you felt bad physically if you're wondering how you're gonna pay your rent this week it's very hard for you to focus on spiritual growth so everything kinda comes together makes us this whole person so they're all important I think the thing the Christian has to do is realize that everything good flows out of their spiritual life. And we have to be careful that even as Christians, we don't say, well, my spiritual life's like number three, but making money and having stuff's number one. Or, hey, my, my spiritual life's like number three, but, but my friendships with, with others is number one. Well, sh- shift that around and put your spirituality to the top and let it influence everything else. So... Jesus said this, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the things that the world is running after will be given to you as well. They seem to flow out of our spiritual life, so we want to make sure our spiritual life is a priority. So here's Romans 12.1, we looked at last week in the Message Bible here, I think this is the NIV, it says Romans 12.1, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a, what's the next two words? Living sacrifice. Sacrifice. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, your whole being. Offer your whole being, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable or pleasing, depending upon your translation, holy and pleasing to whom? To God. Now, this is my problem, your problem, and the whole world's problem. We want to live a life that's pleasing to me. You want to live a life that's pleasing to you. I have to back up and say, hold I want to live a life that's pleasing to God. And I understand this about God by the very nature that he's God, is that he's not trying to steal anything from me. So if I'm living my life in a way that pleases God, then it will ultimately end up pleasing me. It's just the way it works, because God's not a taker, he's a giver. He's a giver of life. So, we're offering our bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We think worship is singing a song, we've taught about that many times, that is part of worship. But real worship, true and holy and perfect worship, is we offer our whole beings to God, as living sacrifices. Now, being a living sacrifice is hard. In fact, it's kind of, you know, uh, uh, seems like a contradiction here because what what do you do with sacrifices? You kill them, and so now I'm going to be a living sacrifice. We're not supposed to bring harm to ourselves or our bodies or anything like that, so I'm a living sacrifice. Paul said we're dying daily. He said I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but the life I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. And so there's this weird thing going on that i'm alive and yet i'm dead i'm dead in christ alive unto god but when we're dead in christ we're dead to sin and we're alive to god so it's interesting but the problem with it if you've ever seen like an old testament sacrifice there's usually some kind of stone altar there and they take a lamb and tie it up and put it up there and then they slaughter kill the lamb make it a sacrifice but we're the lamb and we we crawl off the altar I mean, we're not going to hang up there for a long time. We, we wiggle our way off, and we have to keep putting ourselves back on the altar. Again, God's not doing harm to us. We're laying aside things that bring death so that we might have life. So we keep moving in this process. But I really want to say this because I don't want us to be confused. This is very, very important to me, that you do not think that I'm talking about earning your salvation. I'm not talking about earning your salvation. You can't do it. You can't do it. In Hebrews 10, 17, and 18, talking about salvation that comes through Jesus, it says, Then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Now, if I remember something no more, I can't remember less than that. I don't remember it. You, you can't not remember more, it, it's already forgotten. And it says, And where these have been forgiven, our sins and lawless acts, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. So I'm not talking about sacrificing to earn our salvation. And by the way, I want to remind us how, how um, arrogant of us and how demeaning to Jesus. Because we would really be saying, Jesus, you weren't enough. But I've got to give my life to you and spend a half hour a day in prayer and a half hour a day in Bible study. And if I do that, then I will have salvation. No, yeah, it won't work. And I'm always amazed because how much is enough if you're trying to earn your salvation? Maybe it should be two hours, maybe it should be five. Where you, you can't do it, you can't earn it. Jesus paid it all. You remember the song, don't you? Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all. So this message is about spiritual growth, and about blessing, and about life, not about earning your salvation. So we look at First Peter, and. Earlier in the chapter, it says Jesus is a living stone. So get that in your head. Jesus is a living stone. You also like what? Living stones. You Hold it. Jesus is a living stone, and I'm also a living stone? Yeah, you're not Jesus. You're not the Savior of the world, but you're like him. Christians, Christ-like ones. That's what we're supposed to be, Christ-like ones. And so we are living stones being built together into a spiritual house. See, we have a physical building here that I'm very fond of and happy for, and it's a wonderful blessing. God's not anti-having a building at all. But it's not the spiritual house. If you look around the room, you'll see the spiritual house. We are the spiritual house. We're being built together to become a spiritual house. I mean, we, we could build another building, and they could, I'm serious about this, they could turn this into a, a barn, They can store hay in here. It's a building. When we come together, it becomes a spiritual house. We come together, we bring the the life of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit together. And so here it says that we are being built together to be a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood. Yes, you're a priest. A holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Any sacrifice I offer outside of Jesus is nothing. The best I can do without Jesus is sin. Now, that's mind-blowing, but I can tell you what. If I don't know Jesus, I could build a hospital in the most needy neighborhood in the world, and it doesn't earn me nothing. 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 And yet, the Bible says that if you love Jesus and you give a cup of water in the name of a prophet, you'll receive a prophet's reward. I just gave a cup of water. Yeah. In the name of Jesus. Jesus. And so it's a great reward. It's a great reward. It's kind of like our kids. You know, we go, we go watch our kid, you know, play a sport. And some kid who's not our kid hits a Grand Slam home run. That's fine. Our kid gets walked. Woo! Our kid's awesome. He's awesome. Okay. Uh, why? Because he's our kid. We're God's kids. So that cup of water, God rewards it. God's a, God's a wonderful rewarder. You look through scripture, he loves to reward those. He rewards those who diligently seek him. He's a rewarder. And so some sacrifices we can make they are just part of our lives as believers, as Christians, are our, our prayer life, our praises, our will, meaning our choices, the things we will to do. Those, those are spiritual sacrifices. Our bodies, our time, our talent, our treasures, our, our volunteerism, our money, our possessions, all those things, as we give those into the kingdom, they are spiritual sacrifices. And we become priests before God. Now those terms scare the average person. Don't let it. We're just you're just somebody God uses. In fact, if we studied it, you would find out that in the Old Testament when he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, they were he wanted them all to be a priesthood. All of them. And the people said, this is too much for us. We're too scared. His voice is too loud. Lightning and thunder scares us. We don't want anything to do with it. Moses, you speak to God and tell us what he said. We don't want to touch it. And then God raised up one of the tribes as priests. But ultimately, we were all supposed to be priests. And God is patient. He always gets it done. We turn to Revelation and it says, now God has made us a kingdom of priests to our God. Yeah, he, he gets it done. Peter says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a people who belong to God. God always accomplishes this thing. We get in a hurry, he doesn't. He says, okay, you want to not do that? Well, I'll take care of that in about 1,200 years. And he just keeps on keeping on. So we're priests before God. And everything we do is offered to the Lord. Now, Psalm 27, 6. I know I'm looking at a lot, but I want us to see what sacrifice does for us. In Psalm 27, 6, it says, Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. Got any enemies surrounding you? At his sacred tent... That would have been the tabernacle, or we would probably, modern-day language, call it the house of the Lord. At His sacred tent, at the house of the Lord. It's funny because um, I talk to people, and there's always people that know they can find God anywhere. And I want to say this: you can, but they want to find God where they want to find God in exclusion to the house of the Lord, and that's not good. Years ago, there's a couple that I did some business with who would come, and, and um, she, she would drag her husband along, and she was telling me one time, she said, he says, well, I can find God in the backyard. She was just a real point-blank kind of person. I mean, you could know her for two seconds. She's going to tell you what she thinks. That was the way she was. She said, I looked at my husband and said, you probably can, but I never see you out there looking for him. And I thought, good point. I can find God on the lake. I can find him in the forest. I can find him. Sure you can. And so obey being in the house of the Lord and find him everywhere. It's not exclusion to it. And so he, he's here in the house of the Lord. I will sacrifice, which in this case would have been animal sacrifice, and I will give those sacrifices with shouts of joy, shouts of joy. I don't know where along in history, and I was raised in a quiet church, but I don't know where we got quiet because you look in the Old Testament, they're not really a very quiet people. And uh, now in heaven, I think God's trying to help everyone. There's like 30 minutes. Is it 30 or 60? I always forget that. I think it's 30 minutes. There's 30 minutes of silence in heaven. After that, I think it just gets noisy. You know, the Bible says that our praise comes before God like the sound of many rushing rivers. You know, it's, it's amazing. So, but I was raised in a quiet church too, so I get it. I got motivated one time, said amen. I got nudged by the guy beside me and went, shh. And so I went, okay, that must have been a little too wild to say amen. Okay. Hebrews 13, 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. I salute those of you who came today against your emotions and your mental feelings and your physical feelings. I really seriously mean that because you brought him a sacrifice. You said, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to be in the house of the Lord. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do, even if I don't feel like it. And we offer God a sacrifice of praise. And then he defines what is the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips, what you say, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Openly profess his name. I tell you all, and I try to do it too. By the way, I'm not a I'm not a, an outgoing street evangelist. A lot of people think pastors are. I'm really good with the relational evangelism, but I'm usually not real aggressive, you know, when I first meet somebody. So I'm I'm going to the dentist this week and I'm practicing what I preach, I'm on assignment, I wake up every day, I'm on assignment, and so I get there, and um, the dentist had looked at Darlene who had trigeminal neuralgia because she had a problem, and they, they found out had trigeminal she had trigeminal neuralgia, this was probably a year ago, and uh, then the dentist, you know, let her know that um, uh, that he went to school with a buddy whose father committed suicide from the pain of trigeminal neuralgia. I thought, well, that was real encouraging. And um, so we're not afraid of doctors. We went to doctors, did all this and that, and they prescribed some medication. Uh, One medication they're going to prescribe, because I know you like to hear me ramble, one of the medications they were going to prescribe, they said, now, by the way, if you take this medicine, it doesn't happen a lot, but if you start feeling like you're, have literally caught on fire, go to the emergency room as fast as you can, because it sometimes affects people like they've been burned all over their body." I said question yes is it temporary well it could like last for the rest of your life okay so i could th- they're actually going to put you in a burn ward that's why i said they're going to put you in a burn ward like for the rest of your life and i think there's probably other options so they came back they said well we got another option for you so she took the other option darling does not take medicine so any medicine really affects her and so she she was taking this medicine it seemed to help a little bit and then she just became like zombified and, and then the pain came back. She said, I'm just going to have to get aggressive and believe in God. So every time it hurt, she confessed the word. She prayed. By the way, not, af- not afraid of doctors or nurses, but she kept confessing, confessing, confessing. Well, I'm going into the dentist. The dentist asked, how's Darlene's face doing? How's that trigeminal neuralgia? And I said, you want me to tell you what cured her? He said, yes. Yeah. said, prayer, because I'm on assignment. And that's not real brave anyway. Prayer. By the way, my dentist is in Hope, Indiana. He's awesome. And everyone in Hope loves Jesus anyway, so... Um, that's probably not true, that's definitely not. But anyway, and so the lady there, uh, which I'd never met her before, we start talking, and so uh, she's talking about these books she's reading, and, and I end up inviting her to church, and she I had a cracked tooth is what happened. And uh, aren't you guys excited about this story? Yeah, okay, I just want to probably like, yeah, Bob's back there, wrap it up. He's got like gone. And so she said, "I wish you would crack your tooth every day and come in here." I said, how about I just come and visit, and uh, we won't worry about cracking a tooth. And, uh, but we're on assignment. Yes. And so, you know, what a, what a wonderful thing. Fruit of lips that openly profess his name. How'd Darlene get better? Oh, I don't know. She just got better. Now, I know how she got better. She got aggressive at confessing the word of God over her life. Okay. Well, the next verse is on physical pain, so we might as well move on. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 3. This is, this, is, um, this is the nuts and bolts of how to do this. And you won't be that excited about it, but if you do it, it'll reap tremendous rewards. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 3, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, some translations say suffered in his body or suffered in his flesh, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to what? These verses always get us excited. Suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, if you have suffered in your flesh, if you have suffered in your body, all translation will do it like that, which they're all fine, you have finished with sin. I think the King James is the one that says that if you have suffered in your flesh, you have ceased from sin. King James people is that close. You have ceased from sin. So you read that and you say, what are you talking about? You know, there were people that really believed they should punish themselves throughout years. And they would take whips and they would beat themselves. We're not talking about that. That they, they had to make themselves hurt and, and be beaten and, and punish themselves. That's that's never in Scripture to do that. Well, let's read on. Then we'll come back together. 2, verse 2. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires. Now, probably a clearer translation of that, be you won't. Spend the rest of your life chasing your own sinful desires. Because the Bible says God will give you the desires of your heart, but not sinful desires. You won't spend the rest of your life chasing your sinful desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. I think God would permit us to say this, you won't spend the rest of your life chasing your sinful desires, but what you will do is you'll spend the rest of your life chasing God. You'll spend the rest of your life chasing God and his goodness and his desires and his love and, and his blessing. You'll spend the rest of your life chasing after God instead of sinful desires. Verse 3, you have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless people, what, enjoy. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if you came to the Lord later in life, this verse probably makes sense to you. You're probably going, yeah, that's that's true. I spend a lot of my life chasing godless, evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting or gluttony, their drunkenness and wild parties. I think we just describe most people's college experience. Is that not true? And in fact, the world almost tells you that's what you got to do. You're going to go to college, man. You're going you're to just find yourself. Yeah, you're going to find yourself with a bunch of sin. You're going to find yourself shooting yourself in the foot. You're going to find yourself breaking yourself. I'll guarantee you there's people probably sitting in this room right now that's still trying to overcome shame, guilt, problems that they experienced 20 years ago in college. Just be free of that stuff. First of all, if you've gone through it, put it in your past. Move on with Jesus. We're saying there's no room for shame. The Bible says this, that he's cleansed us from a guilty conscience, washed our bodies with pure water, so I do not want you to live the rest of your life that way. But drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. I was unashamed to openly profess the name of Jesus when I was in college and it was a secular college. And I I would build relationships with people and they would like me and I would like them. And so, but they really always wanted me to sin. You know, it's like, not in a mean way. I don't know if that makes any sense, but they just wanted, to, and like, uh, it was a pretty party in college, and, and hey, it's, stra- it's strawberry daiquiri night tonight, Tracy. Uh, can I make you a strawberry daiquiri? I said, can you make me one without the alcohol? Now, I do know this. There is such thing as a, a, a virgin daiquiri or a nada daiquiri, they call it. They can, but they wouldn't. So I had to drink the one with the alcohol in it. That's a joke. I was, you're gone. He did? No. So I said, can you make me one without the alcohol? They said, man, you, you need the alcohol. I said, why? They said, they said, well, first of all, you won't even be able to taste it. And I said, well, good. Then make me one without it if I can't taste it anyway. Well, because the alcohol will make you feel good. And I said, I already feel good. They wouldn't make me one. They would not. It's like, no, I will not make you one without the alcohol. But I already felt good. So I didn't need any assistance with anything. And I would tell him about Jesus. I had a gentleman who was telling me about the virtues of drinking. He was in, in the dorm room, my dorm buddy, and this guy was talking. He was, he was drunk, and he was talking about how awesome it is to drink. And I said, you know, I said, uh, the Bible says don't be drunk, which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And I said, so I've never been into that. And uh, gospel truth. He he was sitting on a weight bench, and he was telling me how great uh, drinking was and how awesome it was. And I said, you know, the Bible says, and by the way, I was gentle with people. We weren't, I weren't holier than thou. I just talking to the guy and said, I said, man, the Bible says that we should be filled with the spirit, not drunk. Now, he's been going on for 10 minutes to tell me how great drinking is. And he went, "Mm -mm, mm -mm." and so I went with him to the bathroom, watched him puke his guts out, and I thought, that's so beautiful. So, I just want what you have. Uh, Anyway, it's true. Not that I wanted what he had. The whole story was true. Uh, I don't know if it seriously is the Lord saying, let's just let him know how beautiful drinking is. And uh, there you have it. But don't be afraid to profess his name, but you don't have to be yucky about it. So, every time you say no to sin and yes to God, this is what this is teaching you. You're going to suffer in your flesh. You're going to suffer physical. This isn't uh, God's going to make you sick. He's going to give you a disease. He's going to put you in a car wreck. It's not what this is talking about. The Bible always talk, when it talks about suffering. It talks about suffering for the sake of Christ. Okay? I want you to know that. Not that, oh, well, good. I got in a car wreck and broke both my legs. This is this is what God wants. No. It, that happens to people, but that wasn't what God's talking about suffering. What he's saying is that when you say yes to God and no to sin, it will hurt your flesh your body will not like it your sinful desires will beg you not to be neglected don't neglect me you may even suffer physical pain and an ache or a longing because that sinful thing you've come to enjoy some people when they finally say no to alcohol because it's just taken them too far or they say no to drugs of various kinds they will literally go through physical pain of a withdrawal. They're physically aching in their body. They're physically hurting. But if they get to the other side, they will have ceased from sin in that area. They will be free from suffering in their body. I had a person a few years ago uh, tell me, actually several years ago, tell me that they loved to gossip. That was an interesting conversation. They, we were talking about something. I said, I just love to gossip all of the gossip, but I don't really love to gossip, but they said I love to gossip. So the more I found out, the less I told them about myself. Uh, the uh, Anyway, uh, what I found out was, and, and maybe you struggle with this. I'm not beating you up because I promise you everybody here is struggling with something that we need victory over. But um, when they got a juicy tidbit, they, it actually affected them physically. I got a, I got a juicy tidbit to share. I gotta, and now there's so many outlets to share it on, too. So this was a little earlier. And so before we had all those, and so it would start, they start getting excited about this juicy tidbit. Now, if they say no, I don't know where they're at in their gossip world. They don't come here. It's been years ago. Um, I will promise you this. If they haven't dealt with that, when they get a juicy tidbit, if they say no, every gossipy pore of their body will begin to ache because I've got to share it. I've got to say it. But if they'll suffer in their flesh, they will come to a place where they will cease from sin in that area. That's what Jesus is teaching here. And then there will be blessing. There'll be spiritual growth. There'll be all kinds of wonderful things that happen because we suffered in our flesh and we have ceased from sin. Now, it would be nice if we could do it all in one fell swoop, but usually what happens is you... You get victory over that area, and then you see another one. And just say, hey, I, I'm God's child. He's, he's helping me. He's showing me things. Don't get discouraged by it. Get encouraged by it. You're going to grow and be more like Jesus. You're going to knock another thing off with the help of the Holy Spirit that will help you be free so you can enjoy life to the fullest measure. You know this. Anytime we got an area of bondage in our lives that holds on to us, it does not give us more life. It takes life from us. And so Jesus is liberating us so we can enjoy life. So here's some sacrificial actions for us. First of all, learn the reward for the sacrifice. In other words, what I mean is you say, if I sacrifice this, what will be the return on my investment? You need to look at that and think about that. And then the second thing is you need to have faith. You must believe that that will really happen. Because we've seen so much sowing and reaping in a farm and agricultural community, we have great faith for that. But if you had never done that before, that would be tough to do. I think it was, it was Isaac or Jacob, they sowed in famine and reaped a hundredfold return. That took faith to sow where crop failure was everywhere. So faith, we've got to believe it. There's really going to be a return on this sacrifice. The third thing is we must suffer in our body until permanent change is established. Not just short period, then we fall back a short period and fall back. We've all done it. This isn't a message to beat you up. It's a message to encourage us. Let's keep moving forward until permanent change has been established. And then lastly, enjoy the rewards and the blessings of a sacrificial life.